Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor Study. Today's program is going to be just a little different than usual. Tom is not going to be preaching a sermon, but we're going to take the whole time for our program today to deal with some of the questions that people have been sending in. And we love getting those questions, don't we, Tom? We do. And they really, you know, I think give us a different aspect to our programming mm -hmm. because we get to answer questions that people have and maybe we create some more questions mm -hmm. sometimes too that people will look a little further into yep. their Bibles and discover things and that. So today we're going to start off with um, some of the questions that people have sent and yep. some other things that we've talked about that we haven't fully covered before. In 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 35, it says, Paul sa why does Paul say that women should stay silent? in the church. Mm -hmm. And the context there is, is saying, and this is also from 1 Timothy chapter 2, women can do all kinds of stuff in the church, but the one thing they're not to do, they're not to preach over men or exercise authority over men. So Jackie, uh, even though a lot of denominations now have women preachers and women elders ruling the churches, uh, Paul wouldn't allow it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 or in 1 Corinthians 14. And why is that? It, it's not that men and women are not equal. We are equal, but we're just different. We have different functions in life. So, um, and, and I'll tell you, Jackie, I went to a liberal seminary, and they taught women preaching over men is fine because when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 2, actually chapter uh, 14, or when, especially when he wrote 1 Timothy 2, women weren't educated back then. So because they weren't educated, they shouldn't be preachers. But now that we have education, Paul would be fine with women preachers. I never bought that argument. And here's the reason. First Timothy chapter 2, quote, I, Paul, do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a, a man. For, now he's going to give the reason. It was not the woman who was created first, but the man was created first. Not the man who fell into deception, but the woman, talking about Eve. Not a word about education, not a word about culture, it's about the way God made us. So Jackie, I think that because of the way God made us, men are supposed to be the preachers over the church and women are not to preach over church. Um, but in the early church, there were women that preached in... I, in the, I mean, you've got women, uh, the, the first woman to preach the gospel in one sense was uh, Mary running from the tomb saying he is risen. I've seen him, you know. So in that sense, of course, but I'm talking about the person who's doing the Bible teaching over adult. I think women can teach children. Women can teach women. But Jackie, if a woman's got a teaching gift, like I can think of somebody today, she's a woman t a teacher and she's gifted, but I just wish she would call herself a woman's uh, minister or whatever and, and do the speaking to the women because it doesn't work well when a woman is preaching over adult men. And again, this is what Paul says in First Timothy chapter 2. It's just something about the way we're made. Okay. 
let's go off on a different track. Mm -hmm. Can a Christian <coughs> gamble? Um, you know, we now have like state lotteries where you can buy jackpot tickets yeah. to win a Powerball yeah. from a Powerball and that. Yeah. Is it wrong for Christians? Well, full disclosure here, Jackie. Okay. My dad ran the racetrack in Omaha, Nebraska, <laughs> the Exarvin racetrack. And so I was raised with gambling. And is there a verse in the Bible that says it's a sin to take $20 to the racetrack and do that for entertainment for a few hours? I don't know that there's a verse that says gambling is a sin. I will say this. I, sometimes I've walked through a casino to get to the all-you-can-eat buffet, <laughs> and I, I don't personally gamble, but it is so depressing to see all these people, most of whom are elderly, going like this at a slot machine. Just It's like there's got to be more than, to life than this. And so I, if it's an addiction, it certainly is a sin. Stay away from it. Um, is it a sin in itself to gamble? Some Christians would say yes. Uh, some would say no. I think you've got to be awfully careful. It's God's money. Why aren't we giving more to missions, that kind of thing? But it, you can say that about anything, Twinkies or you know, whatever you want to eat. So I, you know, I'd have to let that. When the Bible is clear, we need to be clear. When the Bible is fuzzy, we need to be fuzzy. Uh, is, is the Bible clear that it's a sin to gamble? I don't know that it is, but other Christians smarter than me would say, yes, it is. So. Okay. But if a person does win, should they then tithe and <laughs> well, give a percentage you know, back I, to God? I think the way this person asked the question, it was, um, if, if, I, if I do win the lotteries then, and I tithe it, then am I okay? Well, here's the deal. If you believe it's a sin to, to buy a lottery ticket, then you don't buy it. You just don't do it you know, whether you tithe off of it or not. <laughs> so I think that's the better way to put it. I mean, Jackie, these questions we're doing right now, I spoke at a church in California. And uh, they had a bunch of Bible questions. They wrote them down. So what we're doing right now, these questions are from this church in California. And uh, that was their lottery. Maybe, maybe there's a difference because of the geographical area. We're in Minnesota <laughs> yeah. filming here. <laughs> I don't know. California is a little kind of a different type of a state. <laughs> yeah. I think they have the lottery, though. So. Okay. Um, we know the Sixth Commandment tells us that thou shalt not kill. But can a Christian justify turning to guns for self-protection? All right. I'll tell you why this question came up. I, I was asked to speak at this church in California. I know the pastor there, and he had me come out. And he has a gun, and he likes to go target shooting. And this person in his congregation think that's, thinks it's terrible that the pastor owns a gun. Shouldn't, I, 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 I think her belief is we should trust God to protect us. Don't buy a gun. So he wrote up a little something for me on why he thinks it's okay to have a gun. This is him talking. You see with he, uh, at, uh, Psalm 82, verse 4. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Uh, Proverbs 24. Deliver those who are drawn toward death. Hold those back uh, hold back those who are stumbling to slaughter. Uh, listen to this from my Ezekiel 33. If the watchman sees the sword coming, the attack, and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any of them away, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. And get this one, Jackie, Exodus 22. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. In other words, if a thief is coming in your house and you've got to protect yourself, you can do that. A um, couple more from Psalm 144. 
Blessed be the Lord my rock, David talking, King David says this, God who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He subdues people under me. So David was anointed by God to protect the promised land. And then you've got the, in the New Testament, the soldiers saying to John the Baptist, what should we do to be following the Lord? And he doesn't say stop being a soldier. He just says stop taking, don't extort money out of people. So I think you can make a defense that defending yourself is okay. Uh, Jesus talks about turning the other cheek, and, I, and that's true. You know, generally, Jackie, in our lives, we should, we should not be defending, always arguing and defending ourselves. But is it, a wrong, is it wrong to, you know, kill Hitler if he's killing six million Jews? Jews I, think it's, I think it's okay to kill Hitler. Okay. Um, you know, all right, we talked about that's about the gun thing and that and about, but what does the Bible teach about suicide, though? Yeah. Can you kill yourself and be saved is the question I, yeah. I get. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you what I was taught. When I was a 13-year-old boy in confirmation class, somebody's hand went up and said, Pastor Ruff, can you kill yourself and go to heaven? And Pastor Ruff quoted uh, from the first letter of John, we know that no murderer has eternal life dwelling in him. And, and he taught us kids, if you murder yourself, you don't have eternal life. And I believe that. Um, I don't know that I believe that anymore, and here's why. Um, I mean, the, the reason people say you can't go to heaven if you commit suicide is because you don't have time to ask for forgiveness. Well, everybody's going to die without having had time to confess every sin. I mean, Jackie, we don't know half of our sins. But I can guarantee you, you will die and I will die without having had time to confess all of our sins. Our salvation does not depend on that. It depends on grace, on Jesus on the cross and what he did. And you know, Jackie, when Jesus died on the cross, he also died for the sin of suicide. Jesus said there's only one unforgivable sin, and he didn't mention suicide. He mentioned the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So I, I, I think it's a sin to kill yourself, but I think there are people who have done that, and they sinned, who knew the Lord, and they did something evil and stupid in their last breath, but they knew the Lord, and I believe Christ paid for that sin, and they're forgiven, and I believe they're in heaven. That's my understanding. You know, Pastor Brock, it's funny, though, because we have people that talk in this day and age about um, God being so merciful and that, but you have nations like Africa that children are starving to death, and they're not getting fed, but they're not hearing the word either. Mm-hmm. If Who's, that's our fault that we aren't yeah. getting the message out, isn't mm-hmm. it, to these countries yeah. that don't know? Well, there was, there's a story. I, it was a China that some missionary years ago comes to this village in China and tells people, Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. Believe in him, you'll be saved. And this one villager is so excited. Oh, really? When did this happen? Well, this happened 2,000 years ago. And his response was, and you're just telling us now? You know, that's convicting. I, I want to say this to everybody watching the show. I hope the church you go to gives money to missions, supports missionaries. I hope you personally give money to missionaries because it's our job. The last words of Jesus on earth was, go ye therefore. So, Okay, Pastor Brock, you hear people talk about saying 
that they they were near death and yeah. they had this experience. Mm -hmm. Is there really such a thing as a near death experience? Well, you know, in in Second Corinthians chapter twelve, the apostle this is, he hadn't died, but he said he was caught up. And Paul the apostle, while he was alive in Second Corinthians twelve, talks about seeing paradise. So is that possible? Yes, it is. Is it possible that some of these people who die for five minutes and come back and claim they saw the white light at the end of the is it possible some of that's true? It's possible, but you just have to be super careful. Because there's a lady named Betty Edie who wrote a book called Embraced by the Light. And she claims Jesus took her to heaven and showed her everything. All just she wrote a whole book on it. And then she says, and then the Lord said to me, Betty, the people on earth are confused about something. I'm not God, said Jesus Christ. And then she comes out with this kind of Mormon Jehovah's Witness view of God denying the <coughs> one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you could tell this book is a $3 bill. Because it, Paul said in, in uh, Galatians, if an angel from heaven preaches to you a gospel different than the one I preached to you, let him be cursed. So, you know, if an angel or Betty Eadie or somebody says they saw heaven and Jesus isn't really God, let him be accursed is what the New Testament says. Okay, Pastor Brock, in this day and age now, cremation has become very popular mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. And I guess what's the Christian viewpoint on cremation? Yeah. Is it wrong? Is okay. It and what happens to a person if their body is cremated right. and can't... Yep, be raised. Well, well, they'll be raised <laughs> because it says in the book of Revelation, the dead, this, excuse me, the sea gave up the dead in it. So people that have died at sea or been thrown overboard and have totally disintegrated, they're going to rise from the, the, the sea on the last day. Everybody will rise even if you've been burnt to a crisp. I will say this, Jackie, the history of the church has been against cremation, but in more recent years, even the Catholic Church has softened that. And if somebody asks me about cremation, I tell them personally, I wouldn't do it. Why burn your body up when you die? What's the purpose of that? Well, the purpose is just save money now. But I, I just don't like the, the thought of it. But I'm not here to say it's a sin. I can't say that because I don't know of a verse that would say that. Uh, but those are my thoughts. Yeah. Okay. The Bible talks about when Jesus comes, he's going to judge the living and the dead. But we talk about our loved ones being with God right now. So isn't that kind of a contradiction mm -hmm. then? Mm -hmm. If they're in heaven already, then why are they going to be judged on Judgment Day? And I would say that, yes, they're still... I think, uh, let's take my grandma. My grandma Loski was a Christian lady. I believe she's in heaven. Her soul is but she doesn't have her perfect new resurrection body. She won't get that till Judgment Day, and she'll still have to be judged. Now, we already know, Jackie, the Christians know what the final verdict will be. We'll be found not guilty because Christ paid for our sins. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 teach that there will be varying degrees of reward on Judgment Day. And some Christians will get some rewards, and some Christians won't. So that kind of thing still has to happen yet. But God is the only one that knows what rewards you're going to get. That's right. And so when yeah. people start talking about that, well, I'm going to get this and that, mm -hmm. they don't really know. No, okay. they don't. <laughs> okay. 
So can a mass murderer go to heaven just like anyone else? Yeah, this, this question was, uh, you know, how come a mass murderer can go into heaven and somebody like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or fill in the blank, you know, that's not fair, was this person. And, and the, uh, the point I try to make gently is if, if David's in heaven, he committed murder and adultery. Ted Bundy, who killed all the women, supposedly repented and turned to Christ before he died. Remember David Berkowitz, the son of Sam murderer in New York? Remember all those shootings? Mm -hmm. he's, he's converted to Christ in prison. He's going to spend the rest of his life in prison, but he's turned to God for the forgiveness of, sin, of sins. I think that's great, Jackie, because we're all David Berkowitz. You know, I maybe haven't done what he's done, but I've done some stuff I'm mightily ashamed of. And I, this, this, this person needs to understand you're Ted Bundy. We're all mass murderers in our heart and thought word and deed we sin daily. So I, I just kind of tried to explain that, but I don't know if she got it or not. I hope she did. Okay. You know, this next one says, I can't seem to stop sinning. So what is my problem and am I going to hell? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What makes a person... Yeah. We're all born with this sin nature. And Jackie, sins aren't just things I do. It's who I am. There's this power in me called original sin that I was born with. And if somebody says, I can't stop sinning, one, one part of the answer is join the group. Nobody. You know, you know what the Bible says in James? No man can tame the tongue. Nobody can tame the tongue. It's this restless evil in our members. So that's why I pray in the morning, God, would you tame my tongue today? Would you keep me from saying stuff I shouldn't? I think we need to pray that regularly. Nobody can stop sinning on their own. So we need the Holy Spirit. So that's all true. It's also true if you're living in impenitent sin, there's no sorrow, there's no repentance, you're living in impenitent sin. According to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, you're not going to heaven. So yes, I sin in thought, word, and deed daily, but no, I'm not living in it. And when I do sin, I repent. I don't live in it. I repent from it. Jackie, we will sin till the day we die. But are we fighting it or are we living in it? That's the question. Okay. Pastor Breck, what are demons? Do they actually exist? I mean, mm -hmm. we hear about people being demon-possessed mm -hmm. and that. And in the Bible, there's stories of people... Yeah. casting demons out yeah. of someone in that. Where did they come from? And yeah, and you know, there's lots of stories like that, especially in the Gospels, and Jesus casts out demons a lot. So they're real, and where did they come from? Well, I think, and some of this is not clearly spelled out, but the Bible talks about fallen angels, angels who left their proper abode and fell, and they rebelled. And the, the, the theory, and I think it's a good one, the fallen angels are what became the demons. Really? So these evil spirits and can't do what, what? Well, they inhabit people. Jesus had to cast demons out of people. Now the question I think you asked is, can a Christian have a demon? Well, I don't think a Christian can be possessed by a demon because you're possessed by the Holy Spirit if you're saved. But you can sure be oppressed by a demon. You can have demonic stuff happening to you that you need to get prayer for. So you can certainly be oppressed. And I, Jackie, I think casting even a demon out of a person, maybe a person isn't possessed, but they still need to have stuff cast out. Okay, this next question I really like, Tom, because I think people don't stop to think about this, but mm -hmm. who decided which books would be in the Bible and what order they'd be in? Okay. And where did that all come from yeah. that our Bibles... Yeah, 
Well, if you watch some of these public television documentaries, they, some of them are pretty awful. They'll find the most liberal scholars they can who are teaching at some liberal seminary and saying, well, you know, that the Gospel of Thomas is, is uh, just as authentic or whatever. Well, Jackie, here, here's, the, here's the situation. The Old Testament canon or list of books was complete by the time Jesus was born. The Jews, the Jews had their, their, new, their Old Testament list or canon of books. All right, then comes the New Testament, and Christ is born and leaves, and the disciples write down the, the Gospels, or uh, others write down the Gospels and the Epistles. How do you know that the Gospel of Thomas, which is a fake produced by the Gnostics, a cult, a cult in the early church, early uh, age, how do we know the Gospel of Thomas shouldn't be in the New Testament? Well, the early church, because they had the, the authentic Gospels and the authentic Epistles in the New Testament, but then you had the cults and the fakes come along. Well, how do you determine whether something gets into the, old, the New Testament canon or list? And the early church had two criteria. Number one, is it related to one of the apostles who saw things? Like the book of Mark is not written, but the, the book of Mark, Mark was Peter's secretary. There is no disciple called Mark. Uh, John was a disciple. Matthew was a disciple. But uh, 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 Luke was a physician. Yeah. That he was a doctor that he wasn't one of the twelve, so it had to have a connection to one of the original uh, disciples, and it also had to have proper doctrine. Jackie, if you read the Gospel of of Thomas, it's a whole different Jesus than the Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I mean, it's just obvious something's weird is going on here. So if if the if the uh, the book was attached to an apostle in some way, if it was teaching true doctrine, it got in the book. If it was obviously off or didn't or, or it was a, a phony, it didn't make it in. And we trust the Holy Spirit led the led the early church in, in all that guidance. You know, when a person prays for a health issue or something and you know and they get better they think that their prayer has been answered right mm -hmm. but how does a person discern if they don't get better that God is maybe saying no mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Paul said I think this is 2nd Corinthians I have this thorn in the flesh whatever it was. It could have been a bad eyesight, some people think it was. It could have been the enemies that hounded him from time to time. But whatever this thing was, Paul called it a thorn in the flesh. Three times I asked God to take it away, but God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, it'll keep you humble, Paul, was, was God's point. So Jackie, I think, uh, I mean, for instance, I've got a problem with my shoulder now, and I've been praying and praying for God to heal that. And you know, whether he will or not, I don't know. Paul fi finally discovered somehow that God was going to have the thorn remain. And so I think you keep praying and, until you somehow realize that it's going to stay. I don't, I don't know. Pastor Brock, can you differentiate between the Old and the New Testament as far as how prayer is? Was it, was it done? done. Mm -hmm. I mean, because yeah. it seems to me that there's a lot of differences. Well, in the old, if you want to know how people prayed in the Old Testament days, you read the book of Psalms. Most of, a lot of those are prayers. And a lot of them are very much like we pray. The difference between the Old Testament prayers and the New Testament prayers, we more specifically pray to God as our Father. God, God is mentioned as Father only a few times in the Old Testament. 
New Testament, Jesus teaches, teaches us to pray, Our Father. So when we pray, we normally pray, Heavenly Father, etc. And then the other big difference is, in the New Testament, we pray in Jesus' name. They didn't know that in the Old Testament, so they didn't pray that way. Okay. Let's talk about a big one. Mm -hmm. Predestination. Okay. We could do a whole show on this one. Okay. I know. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> How many minutes? I mean, okay. we've only got about three minutes. <laughs> I mean, can you differentiate what, first of all, what is predestination? To what degree does God plan and direct our lives? Mm -hmm. Or where yeah. did predestination, the yeah. teaching, come from? Well, let me shake some people up and say, I don't believe in free will. I don't believe I, on my own power and strength, can come to my Lord Jesus Christ or believe in him, but the Holy Spirit has drawn me. That's, I'm quoting Martin Luther from 500 years ago. And where Luther got that, St. Augustine in the 400s believed in predestination. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, it teaches predestination. Especially read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. That's the Bible's fullest teaching on predestination. And predestination means this. Jackie, the reason I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, is not because I chose God. He chose me. And Jesus said in John chapter 15 to the disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you. So, Jackie, I think the only reason I'm a Christian today and the only reason I'm still a Christian today is God not only chose to save me, he's choosing to keep me saved. That raises all kinds of difficult questions about, well, then why doesn't he choose everybody to be saved? Well, all I know is um, he's got people that he calls, redeems, and predestines. Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Okay. Yeah, we could do a whole show on this one. Yeah, well, I think people, it's probably getting to be with some of the things that are um, the phony preachers and everything and that, yeah. that people are kind of looking more at predestination as a thing that, not biblically looking at it. Right, that's right. In James it says to consider it pure joy when we face trials and tribulations. Mm -hmm. Is it a sin if I don't see something that's happening to me that I don't like? Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you in, in, have encounter various trials. So we are to consider it joy. I think Jesus wept. Jesus knew some of these joys are it does, your emotions necessarily don't feel them. They're true joys. They're in heaven. They're on earth. But you don't have to feel all the joy all the time. And no, that's not a sin. Jesus wept, you know. So. Okay. 30 seconds left, Tom. <laughs> and it's been a fun show. We invite you to send your questions to us. We'll take them up on another program. And we pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time. See you again on The Pastor's Study. Thank you for watching The Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294. Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.